I do love that. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. I, I need to get my, I need to get everything. Now, I brought my seatbelt again. I hope you did too. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no that's fine. My, my wife is, my, listen. I don't know if I can wait for lunch. So I, I might, I might just make a sandwich during the sermon today. And, um, that is, I might just do that. Um, yeah, we just might make a sandwich during the sermon today. And listen, you can't have a sandwich without Tabasco. So, wait a minute. Like, all right. That's it? Okay. Genesis chapter 12. Let's talk about a famous couple. Happily ever after. Today I want to talk to you about Abraham and Sarah. Now, it's not Tim and Lynette this week. That's next week. <laughs> well, you know what we should do one year during... <laughs> one year during the marriage sermon series, we should... We should tell the stories of the elders and their couples and their marriages. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land I'll show you. And I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75. Everybody say 75. 75. He was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife. Lot, his brother's son. And all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Let's just pause there. Father, bless the reading of the word. To the hearing of our ear. And the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Alright, I got my seatbelt. You're going to need yours too. Because today I want to talk about a couple. That was committed to God. A couple... That not only was committed to God, but committed to each other. Right. And, and we're going we're gonna to watch as they wade through problem after problem. We're, we're going to watch as they fail one another. Now, I know no husband and wife's ever done that in this place. We're going to watch as they fail God. Come on, church. Get through it all. They weather these storms. And they come out of each test together. Everybody say together. together. I want to talk about partners in faith. Not perfect in faith, but I want to talk about partners in faith. This is what's so exciting to me about today's message. It is the fact that we get to see a couple who finishes the marriage marathon. We get to see a couple who finishes their, their portrait literally hangs in the hall of faith. Their, their marriage portrait hangs there for us all to see. And we get to walk alongside them in the scripture as we actually see what it means to stick together for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for sickness and in health. We see it. As we watch Abraham and Sarah walk through, we witness their problems. We can see them mishandle them. And we get to learn from the outcomes. Man, this is good. God calls Abram. We know him as Abraham. Uh, he calls him to leave Ur. Now, I need you to understand, this is going to be a huge test for their marriage. Leaving Ur is just not about geographically testing whether Abram or Abraham is going to be obedient to God. 
But leaving Ur is going to be a huge test for their marriage. If they had stayed in Ur, there's a lot of marriage things that happened in their life that would not have happened. And so God says, I I need you to leave Ur. And he says that knowing, knowing that it's going to be a huge test for their marriage. I need you to understand there's anything you're experiencing in marriage that God doesn't know what you're walking through. Sometimes it may feel like God has abandoned you or forgotten you or maybe God's not involved, but it's not true. We often look back on on biblical history, our history in and of itself, and think the people of the past were less than us today. They were less less advanced. They were were less smart. They, they, They were less equipped and all those things. Yet no one can explain to us today how the, the, the pyramids are built. I got news for you. What ancient aliens? Might make for good entertainment. But it robs us of a truth. That history stares us in the face and says. We were not less than you think we were. I mean, at one point in time, God himself has to say, because of their technological building ability during the Tower of Babel, if we don't go down and stop this, there's nothing they aren't going to be able to do. God himself testified to that. Many of you have been to Noah's Ark and you've seen the replica there. Obviously, that's just what it is. We can't imagine to know everything. And I guarantee you that even as advanced as that thing is, we still miss some stuff, I guarantee you. The math it would have taken to know to build that thing. The math alone... Minus the architectural understanding and the building ability and those particular things. Listen, they were not less than us. And so when God says to Abram, I need you to leave Ur, you need to understand that's not a small ask. Ur was very advanced. The Tigris and Euphrates came together right there. It was incredibly fertile and lush. And because of that, it was a shipping port. And there, were, there, were, there was great technology, great wealth in this area. And we know that to be true because Abram was a wealthy man. And, all, and he's a pagan on top of that, a moon worshiper. And one day this God he doesn't know or anybody else knows shows up and says, Hey, I need you to leave Ur. This is, imagine the lifestyle that Sarah lived. She wanted for nothing. Come on, church. She was absolutely comfortable. Her husband was a wealthy man in a wealthy city. We know how the story ends, and so we tend to overlook a little bit of that stuff. We know that because they arrive at God's destination for them, and they wind up in the center of God's will, we tend to overlook everything that happens through this. But I need you to understand that I know, and I know you know, you might not admit it, that there are a lot of people who are worried and wondering and not sure how their story's going to end. There are a lot of married people in this room and watching today who just for whatever's going on, regardless of their effort, no matter what they, where they came from, but what they are going through right now, there's a lot of people who are worried and wondering, how will my story end? I get that. That's why these messages are powerful. So it's a crazy story. I think it's a wife's number one worst nightmare. Leave. Pack it up. Leave your security. Go to a place. I'm not even going to tell you what the name of it is. You just got to go. You just got to go. And the truth is there's couples throughout history who've made similar monumental decisions without knowing what the Lord has laying ahead. Plenty of, the, plenty of people have. Hello, somebody. I mean, I don't have time for the sake of time today to, to reiterate mine my, my and my wife's own story. 
Most of you know it. But the idea of not being Christians and coming to the Lord and, and our marriage being a mess and, and, and finding a pastor who sowed into our lives and, and, and required change. He, required, he didn't apologize for the requirement of change. You don't, I, I'll say, and I've said this to many couples. You can have, he said this to me over and over in the McDonald's in Chipley, Florida, sipping his coffee while my wife was working at the McDonald's. Him and I were sitting in the back talking about our marriage and she would often come out to refill coffee. I know just to check on what we were talking about. But his statement over and over would be, Don, you can have the marriage you've always wanted. You just can't be married the same as you were. He was unapologetic about this because it was life and death. The call to preach in my life and my wife being, being very, very intimidated by that. Why? Because she doesn't play the piano. I can't be a pastor's wife. I don't sing. <laughs> the call to leave Florida. And the call to lead FFM. I, I just don't have time for all of that today. But it, somebody should write a book. Go ahead, Lynette. 60-40. You get 60-40. What's going on? You ever, been, you ever been in the middle of your marriage and just go, what is going on? Y'all know someone literally typed last week on the internet there online. Can we please put a mic next to Lisa so we can hear her during these sermons? Someone literally requested that. No, negative. <laughs> Listen, here's what I love about this. You know, Genesis chapter 11, verses 26 through 30. Listen, there's no drum roll or no huge introduction to Abraham and Sarah. Not like there was for Adam and Eve. No, there's none of that. There's none of that in there this today in our story. But what we do have, and I need you to grab a hold of this, is we have 13 chapters. 13 chapters of the Bible dedicated to one couple's marriage. God says, I need you to leave where you're comfortable and go to a place I'm going to show you. Abram literally had to leave the paradise of Ur and move to Canaan. A desert. Wow. So, with a heart of faith, Abram obeys. Verse 4. And I think he, like Adam, steps into an unknown world. Remember? And what we do know because of what Peter writes about Sarah... Is that she followed him wholeheartedly. Even to the point of calling him Lord. That's not a statement of servanthood. That's a statement of partnership. I love these, this couple because if you're a couple in crisis, this is a message for you today. Because this is a couple in crisis. You know, when we're first introduced to Sarah, what we're introduced to her about is not initially her beauty. Not initially even her submissiveness. Not initially anything great about her. We're not told about her beauty until Abram, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, winds up in Egypt and is worried about it. We're not told about that initially. When we are introduced to Sarah, we're introduced to a flawed person. Right away. It's the biblical, the way the Bible introduces us to her. It says, Sarah was barren 
and she had no child. They're a couple in crisis. Because in that day, that was a huge deal. It was considered a curse in that culture. For women not to be able to have children. It was considered a curse. Abraham is 75 years old when God says... I need you to leave Ur. Now, by this time in their life, they have been married for decades. So her being barren isn't a recent issue. This is not some new thing to Abraham. They lived with this cultural curse... Day and night for a long, long time. They lived with this thing burdened over and over. They had all the money in the world. They had all the comforts in the world. They had everything that was a sign of God's blessing at that time in their life. They had no worries in everything. But no matter where Sarah and Abraham would go, the whole culture would look at them as if God himself had cursed them in some way because they could not have children. Their marriage was full of this curse, full of this crisis. And no doubt it had weighed on them both at times. No doubt they'd had plenty of conversation about it. I'm sure that they couldn't have children, not because of a lack of practice. I just can't imagine. This is why I think this is for us today. Because some of you married people have been living with some stuff for a long time. Been living with some weight for a long time. You've been dealing with some issues for a long time. And maybe you just tried to go get on and, and go on about it. Maybe you just tried to not make such a big deal out of it. Maybe you've just you've come to this place. Well, this is this is our cross to bear, and, and, and we're gonna press through it. Or maybe this stuff you've been living with for a long time is the thing that tends to separate you and cause you to be enemies, cause you to fight, cause you to to look at each other as less than what God I don't know but I know I know some married people hello somebody I know lots of married folk and I see and talk to a lot of these. some of y'all living with some stuff and that's the reality come on church and what makes this all the more painful was that God had promised a child God had promised that Abraham would be the father of nations in order for that to happen, you got to be able to have some kids. Come on, church. And all y'all know how that works. Don't act like that in this church this morning. I know y'all know how that works because that's why all these little bitty Christians run around here. Just found this one side the road today. Thought we'd bring it along. No, that, that's not how it happened. As the years dragged by, this thing was such a weight on them that they became a couple in crisis about it. We move into Genesis chapter 12, okay? Which, which is a little ways around. They've left Ur, and now they're partners in faith. Bam! All of a sudden, they've left Ur, and, and they're moving as partners in faith by God. And all of a sudden, they have barely arrived in Canaan, and there's a famine. Now, that's something they've never had to deal with before. They've lived next to the Tigris and the Euphrates. They've lived next to fertile land. They've lived in Ur that had plenty. And the first place God brings them to is a place of lack. In the middle of lack. This is not something they've ever had to deal with before. Now, they've got the weight of this burden, this physical issue in Sarah's life that has caused a cultural curse to be upon them. And all of a sudden now, now there's more. Come on, church. You ever just, come on, married people. You just feel like it keeps piling on sometimes. You try to do the right thing and, and it just, come on. I know I'm talking to somebody. That's why y'all quiet. I got more amens from the internet this morning than, come on. And here's the issue I have. 
They've never had to face this before. And instead of asking God about it, Abraham just decides to head off to Egypt. He never consults with God about this. God says, go to, uh, go to Cain. Show you that. So he, he, he's, walk, he's journeyed to a place where God has taken him. But when he gets there, he automatically encounters some more struggle. And he just makes a decision. Now, James calls Abraham the friend of God. But instead of talking to God about this, Abraham just makes a decision. And he, I don't have time to read 13 chapters to you today. He just makes a decision and he says, let's go to Egypt because there's, there's food, there's provision, there's stuff down there. Hello, somebody. And let me just tell you something. Here is exactly what being out of the will of God looks like. They get to Egypt. Then we're told that Sarah's extremely beautiful. So beautiful and so desirable that Abraham knows as soon as Pharaoh takes one look at her, he's going to kill me because he's going to want her. It's in there. That's Genesis chapter 12 verse 13. And sure enough, Abraham, or Pharaoh Caesar. And he's like, who is this woman? And Abraham says what? She's my sister! (laughs) That's not exactly a lie. For you Bible scholars. (laughs) They had the same dad, just different moms. I I don't have time to go back through. It's not exactly, it ain't the whole truth though, gentlemen. Come on. It ain't the whole truth. And half a truth is a whole lie. Hello, somebody. And, and, and more men need to understand that there's a time when, when we live in integrity and a time when we try to save our own necks and we sacrifice our virtue, our integrity, and our honor. And it affects someone else every time we do it. So Pharaoh throws her into the harem. And God is faithful. Don't you, aren't you glad God's faithful? Because in spite of Abraham's husbandly failure here. This is, fail, this is failure. Hello somebody. This, it, every lady in the church has said, Amen. That was not good. That was a bad, that was not, that was a bad decision. Why? He didn't protect Sarah. He let Pharaoh take her into his harem and God is like, I got you, Sarah, I got you. So in spite of Abraham's failure, God is faithful. And the story goes and says right away, God slams Pharaoh's house with a plague. So he gets so busy right away having to deal with the plague, he didn't have time to go have dinner with his new wife. Y'all know how dinner works. That's why all these little Christians are running around here. Lord have mercy. Pharaoh comes to Abraham and said, what have you done to the both of us? Here's a a man who thinks he himself is a god... And comes to Abraham and says, because you lied, your God's going to kill us both. Take her back. Y'all don't read your Bible like I do. What's the matter with you? It's good, but it ain't that good. Hello, somebody. God's going to kill us. So... The next scene we get 10 years later. Genesis chapter 16. And we got trouble in the tent. Uh, This is amen, oh me. I know nobody in here ever had trouble in the tent. They still don't have an heir. And this is weighing heavy on Sarah because she's like, I know how this works too. 
So Sarah decides to hatch a plan. And she even blames God. She, she says to him, because God has not seen fit to give me a child, I've got an idea. Take Hagar. After all, God didn't say the child would come through me. He said the child would come through you. Take Hagar. This is a good plan, husband. This is a really good plan. This will work. And, and husband is standing there. I mean, I'm not really like comfortable with this. Because God didn't share that part of the plan with me. Just, I just automatically assumed that because we were married and, and marriage, and God loves our marriage. And so I just assumed that this is how it worked. And, and, but there's Hagar. And, and you know, maybe, maybe God forgot. Maybe he forgot a little. Poor, maybe he just left that detail out. And maybe, wife, you could be right. And you know what? If I have to take one for the team... <laughs> Once again, there's no record of Abraham or Sarah even consulting God about this idea. They never talked to God about it. How, they never talked to God about this. They didn't talk to God about going to Egypt. That puts them in this position of, of you know... Pharaoh, and they never talk to God about Hagar, and that, that puts him in a, in a different position. And make no, no, no mistake about it here, Abraham makes some key mistakes right here. First, he assumed that his wife's argument was valid. Yeah. After all, she had pointed out that God never said the child would come through her. This is, this is the problem when you try to mix reason with faith. Second, he's a, he assumed that Sarah's offer was based purely on unselfish motives and that she was truly trying to help. And because of that, she wasn't going to have no issues with this. But we all know that after Ishmael was born, Sarah didn't handle it very well. Listen, when there is a crisis... Don't make the same mistake as Abraham and Sarah. Before you take action, husband, wife, pray. When there's trouble in your marriage, before you take action, pray. If God has gone through the detail of bringing two people in all of his created cosmos together at a specific time and point in life. If God himself has wound all of history together so that his future would be established to bring you and your spouse together, I'm pretty sure he understands the rest of the details. And I'm pretty sure he's ready to explain that to you if you ask. But see, a lot of problems happen in marriage because we assume. We know what assuming does. Basically, it causes us to trust our own strength and our own reasoning. And the Bible says to lean not to your own understanding. Press into God. Press into God as husband and wife. Here's what is incredible. Beyond their story in Genesis, this couple, because they were partners in faith, is mentioned four times in the New Testament. We not only have 13 chapters in the Old Testament that detail their marriage, but in the New Testament they are also mentioned four times. Here's my first question for you married people. This is our first PowerPoint, if you will. Are you growing in God as a couple? Are you partners in faith? Listen to me very... God is not looking for perfection. Only progression. 
And if you're like most couples, and most of us are, you're not where you want to be today. Come on, I'm going to grow a little bit. I too am tired of the little things that often uh, spoil the grapevine or the little, you know what I'm saying? Like the little times that at the end of the day when, when maybe there's been just this, this tension in, in my mind and Lisa's life over whatever. At the end of the day, I just go, you know, why God does it? Why does it ha- I don't want that. How can we develop our faith, married people? And grow more spiritually into partners of faith. How can we do this? Very quickly, and I'm going to move into my lessons here so we can get on to lunch. Hello, somebody. Because, man, I'm ready for my sandwich. You got to listen to God together. Everybody say together. Together. At least nine times God spoke to Abram and Sarah. At least nine times. And let me tell you something, married people, he's still speaking today. Yes, he is. He's still speaking today. Many people often ask me, unless Lisa, when we, when we try to define the difference between contract time and covenant time. When I look at a couple and say, you're going to spend two hours together, but in that two hours, you're not allowed to talk about bills, work, kids, chores. Anything that's contract, you're not allowed to talk about that at all. What are you going to talk about? Oh. Oh. Can't talk about the bills? No. Okay. Forget it. Let's just go to bed. You know? It's true. Because, man, that's intimidating. It's scary. Covenant. Two hours. Hey, Lisa. What's God been speaking to you lately? Shut up and listen. Hey, Lisa, if you woke up tomorrow and everything was better, not perfect, what does that look like? Spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally. And let the conversation just go. Why, why, why when we get married do we stop dreaming? When you were dating, that's all you did was dream about the future. Where you want to live, what you want to do, how great that's going to be, and how glorious that's going to be. All the time you spent together was talking always about your hopes and your dreams. And all of a sudden you get married. Who cares? Let's go to bed. You know, like, I get it. I get it. That's the reality, isn't it? On Fridays on date day, I can't talk about church. I love you guys. But I love church. I love this place. I love everyone here. I love everything about it. It's difficult for me to not talk about church on Fridays. It's not that Lisa doesn't love church. (laughs) She She does love church. But she has looked at me sometimes and said, Look, you're just like an old dog. You just come home when you're tired and hungry. I'm sick of that. On Fridays, she can't talk about the grandkids. I love the grandkids. Don't do that. (laughs) Nobody went all about the church. Nobody. (laughs) I love our grandkids. They're fun. I love the way they think. I love that if they make a mistake and they get in trouble, the conversations that we have about that. One of my granddaughters called me this week because she made a mistake. Her, no, her parents didn't make her do that. No one made her do that. She called me and said, Poppy, I made a mistake. and I want you to know I'm really sorry. And I'm really worried about what you think about it. And I was like, come, sit, come here, sit down. Like, I love my grandkids, and I love the conversation. led into a great conversation about what it means just to live our lives and, and, and not be led by the crowd and, and own our mistakes and, and those type of things. And, and it was a great conversation. And I, I left her with it, like what she does. But on Friday, come on, somebody. It's us. 
真火的妹。Some of y'all would do better to understand that God gave you your marriage before He gave you any of these little Christians running around here. You got to listen to God together. He's still speaking. You got to study God's word together. God is speaking through the word. Hey, Lisa, what do you think about the reading today? It's a great conversation. Because we, we read, come on. You got to put your faith in action. In other words, you got to serve God together. What can we do together to serve God at church or somewhere else? What can we do to serve God together? Join. I mean, nothing is, nothing is greater than when mine and my wife get to do some ministry together. or Something that we feel brings pleasure to the Lord together. It's so uniting and it's so much fun and you feel so much more connected in serving together with the Lord. You know, just because God calls one of you doesn't mean the other one can't get involved in that calling. My wife will tell you, I, she, if I, I, she, she, she does not want to get up here and preach. When she gets up and shares, it's incredible. She does not enjoy that. That's your thing. But we have so many conversations about what I'm going to say. This is what faith looks like in your marriage. Now let me put it all together for you right here. And I need need you to just put on your adult ears. Hello church. Just put on the seatbelt if you need to. Because when I'm talking about these, in these weeks, lessons for wives and lessons for husbands, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to approach a reality with a truth. And in order to do that, I had to say some things. So if, you're not, if you can't hear with your good ear, you're not going to receive with a good heart and you're not going to be changed. So pastorally, I'm going to do my best as I talk about lessons for wives and lessons for husbands. And so ladies... Here you go. Gentlemen, you might want to slide over a minute. Here's a lesson for you ladies. Number one, follow your husband. Where God calls him, God calls you. Remember who Eve was created to be. To help meet. Because in all of creation, as perfect as it was, God said, what I've called Adam to do, he has got to have her to do it. Follow your husband. God wants to lead you through your husband. Sure, yes, every husband will make mistakes in his leadership. What husband doesn't? But God has asked him to lead and he has asked you to follow. This doesn't mean there isn't any communication. It's not like you just blindly, you know what I'm saying, can't have a word, can't make a statement, can't do it. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to think of it as like making a sandwich. Ladies. Now... At the Smith house, when we make a sandwich, we use three slices of bread. Ladies, what I need you to understand in following your husband is like making a sandwich. The top slice is your yes. The bottom slice is your yes. Now... What that looks like in the middle of your yes, how you posture your heart, the questions that you ask, come on someone, determines what that sandwich is going to look like. I got a yes and a yes. Your husband has spoken, God has said. And you are like... I, I got some questions. Um, I, I got some questions. Um, right? Um, when do we do this? 
Come on, somebody. Um, because we want to spice it up some. We all want our marriage to be a little spicy. <laughs> How do we do this? I, like I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm believing that God is speaking to you. Um. How are we going to pay for this? Um, just how am I involved in this? Are we sure God has spoken? Because I'm not real sure about the fiery trials that are coming. <laughs> trouble and it, it might be a little warm and are we sure this is not going to leave a bad taste in our mouth are there any godly men in church for you to run this by so we're sure it looks like it's supposed to look like I mean, on top of it, we should really just think about asking the pastor or the elders. Because I'm really not sure I want a bad taste. (laughs) And before you know it, ladies, your yes and yes has been combined into something that's incredible the wisdom that God has given the women in this house needs to be recognized your ability to discern needs to be embraced. And it should be welcomed, gentlemen. But ladies, try to go easy. Take your time. Stay positive and calm. Pray and focus on the goals of your marriage. Follow your husband. That's what you have to do. Follow him. A few of our young ladies in our church has, have married men outside the church who are following God. And, and someone would ask me, well, where are they going to go to church? She has to follow her husband. God must speak to that. Yes. I will always tell you young ladies, remember when you marry a man, you marry his leadership. And how you treat that determines how he stands and walks in it. Second idea I need to move on real quick here is beware of your great ideas. You're like, wait, I should have been in the husband's. I'm getting there. Sarah isn't alone in this, and I need us to grab a hold of this, ladies. We already see what happened with Eve's great idea. Here, eat this thing. Here is Sarah. Here, take this thing. Come on. Even Rachel, I don't have time to read your Bible to you. In spite of all of God's promises, Sarah has the greatest idea ever. Baby with my servant. And nothing but trouble ever came from the birth of Ishmael, and it's still trouble to this day. If you have a great idea, ladies, and I just confirmed that you did, so all the emails that will say otherwise, you, you need to listen to the message. Do nothing, ladies, until you have followed these steps. Stop and do nothing. Wait. Only fools rush in. Pray for God's leading. Search the scripture. What does God say about this idea that you've had? Seek godly counsel from other godly women. 
Then run it by your husband and remember your goal is to be a partner in faith. This will help you lift him into leadership instead of cutting his legs out from under him. My wife once came to me and I was going to make a decision about Malin. And because I'm the lead and it was going to happen. And by God, I don't care who. I got to answer to God for this family. I don't care who likes it or who doesn't like it. I am laying down the law. And my wife came to me and she says, I need to share my heart with you. And then I'm going to leave you to God. She said, I think what you're about to do is make a huge mistake. And it has nothing to do with what's right or wrong. It has everything to do with what I feel like it's going to do to the relationship between you and your daughter. And I'm going to ask you to carefully consider thinking about this decision again. She said, I've shared my heart. And whatever you decide, I will support. I'm going to leave you to God. And she walked away. That caused me to pause for a minute. And think about what was the end goal of my decision. Was it that I'm in charge? And everybody's going to obey my rules? Or was it to no matter what was going on, always be relationally connected to my family? I thank God for her counsel in that moment. It was a great sandwich. Number three, be a team player. Genesis 18, a miracle happens. In Genesis 18, three strangers show up to their tent. Come on, somebody. Two angels and the Lord. They're there. They're perfect strangers. And let me talk to you about this miracle. You'll never see this miracle again. As long as you live, those three strangers showed up. And Abraham and Sarah managed to work together in the kitchen to get a meal done. Y'all missed it. That was the miracle. <laughs> Oftentimes I can be in the kitchen and my wife's like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> I live here. <laughs> Not here. No, 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 out. Be a team player. Do your best to work with your husband. Ask, how can I help? I've said this before in my own marriage. I've asked, when we were rebuilding our marriage, I asked, if I asked it once, I asked it 5,000 times. What can I do to help? And it just included everything. And Lisa began to ask it too. What can I do to help? You see, this includes us together. Fourth, learn to live without. I'm talking to ladies, come on. Sarah lived without a child. She went for decades, wondering, watching, Waiting for a baby. A promise. But in her discontent, it made her, it led her to make a serious mistake. And Sarah's impatience caused the birth of a nation that still plagues God's people today. Ladies, impatientness will always birth something wrong. Gentlemen, you can embrace that too. Learn sometimes... Maybe I don't need that. And I've often said I think everybody ought to have to give it away at least once. Everything. When, when we left Florida, we had, to leave, we had to give up everything to come to Michigan. I came to Michigan with enough money to live for one month. One month. Give it all up. Learn to live without. Watch how freeing that is. Fifth, ladies, focus on long-term faith. Long-term faith. What's your goal? Faith is meant to carry you through the long haul of life. Sarah made some mistakes. But when God looks over her life, He chose her and her name to be listed among the names of the people who are giants of faith. Come on, ladies. That is who you are. This is who you are. Do whatever you need to do to strengthen your trust in God. Praying demonstrates faith. Obey God when you don't understand. When you're living by faith. Your personal faith is a marathon. Watch this work, ladies. Don't consider it your own strength. Forgetting what lies behind. That's what Philippians says. And look forward to what God has ahead. Press towards the high mark of God. Ladies, take a deep breath. Husbands. Husbands. 
Here's your lessons. Abraham's a man of contradictions. I said Abraham is a man of contradictions. He's wealthy, yet he's nomadic. He's a skilled warrior, yet he's respected and not hated. But he made some bad decisions. Hang on to your hats, gentlemen. Here's your seatbelt, and I'm going to go through this really quick. Because it's going to teach us where to focus our attention and what to avoid when it comes to our lives. Gentlemen, number one, love your wives through thick and thin. Okay, wait, through good and bad. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't come out like you mean it. <laughs> through good and bad. Sometimes you feel a correction of the Holy Ghost, just like that. Just like, poof. What do you say? Of all the problems they have, pay attention to this, gentlemen. Of all their problems, I love this about Abraham. This will blow your mind. This will blow your mind. Watch this. Abraham never seemed to be concerned about Sarah's barrenness. You never see Abraham complain about it. You never see Abraham fuss at her about it. You never see him struggle relationally in their life about it. Right? Yet God had made him the promise, I, I, I will give you a child and make you a nation. God had made him a promise. You're going to birth a nation. But the issue isn't me. The Bible clearly says that Sarah was barren. He could have easily been bitterness, bitter about this, guys. Man, if it wasn't for that wife God gave me, if it wasn't for her issues, we could have everything God's promised us. He never made an issue about it, gentlemen. He never made an issue with it. He never caused her to feel less than a woman because of it. He never degraded her because of it. He never want. You cannot find it in the scripture where it seemed to bother him at all. He loved her. Abraham's issues challenges us, gentlemen, to love our wives unconditionally. When we are faced with difficulty and when we, when we are in those positions, gentlemen, it is that time when we should redouble our efforts to reinforce our love for our wife. Like Abraham, gentlemen, we should love and care for our wife no matter what. No matter what. The moment you feel like it's her issue is the moment the enemy is winning the battle and making your wife your enemy. And let me tell you something, gentlemen. Anything that makes your wife your enemy, you better slay it. Don't play patty cake with it. Don't mess around with it. Don't play with it. You better kill it. You better kill it. Your wife was designed by God to be a blessing in your life. And if there's something in your life, if there's something in your marriage that is causing your wife to be your enemy, it is your job to be the leader and take a sword to it. Come on. We are supposed to love our wives passionately, lead our children gently, and kill everything that gets in front of the first two. do away with everything that makes me argue, fuss, and fight with my wife. It's gone. Can't deal with it. And that calls me to number two, gentlemen. Be consistent with your leadership. Abraham's not perfect. He made plenty of mistakes. Everybody say amen. 
He fails to consult God over and over and over at God. And he really he messes up over and over again. He should have just talked to God and he didn't do it. James says he's a friend of God. He's got this special relationship with God that nobody else has got during this time. I mean, all he had to do was talk with God. God wants to talk to him so bad he shows up at a tent with two angels. To have dinner. But he's passive in some key areas in his marriage. So passive in some key areas in his marriage that he winds up telling Pharaoh she's his sister in order to save his own neck. Listen, following some crazy scheme to help God out by taking one for the team is not consistent leadership. Gentlemen, Let's say you're frustrated and, and, and I, I, young ears, you receive Pastor Don. Let's say you're frustrated in the intimate area of your marriage. And it's the lie of the enemy that'll tell you, Hagar, pornography is okay for you. After all. She doesn't seem to be as invested in this area of my marriage. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. You get involved in pornography. Young men, you get involved in pornography. Young ladies, women too. You get involved in pornography. That's a a Hagar. And it's going to birth something that will plague you the rest of your life. Pornography is not about beauty. It's about perversion. And you will never, ever convince this delivered addict of anything else. And I will tell every man in this room, you will not be delivered from it until you hate it. Because you will not leave anything you don't hate. You better let Hagar go. Number three, openly worship God. Abraham was a pagan, moon worshiper. God in his grace did a work in his heart and his life. Pay attention, gentlemen, to this former pagan's life and what it looked like after God was done doing a makeover. After God was done, this man prayed. This man built altars. This man tithed. This man listened to God. This man, in all of his his mistakes, he he worshipped God openly. He, He, listen, has God done something in your life, men? We too were once pagan sinners. Sure, maybe we didn't worship an idol, but we worshiped ourselves. And just as God worked in Abraham's life, let me tell every husband who's listening, let me tell every man who's listening, let me tell every young man who's listening right now, he is working in your life too to prepare you, to move you to a place so that he can be used for his glory and his honor through your life. He's preparing you. And if that was true, and there was nothing that God couldn't accomplish in Abraham's life, there's nothing God can't accomplish in your life either, husband. Purpose to faithfully follow Abraham's example and lead your wife and your family in spiritual matters. Number four, diligently manage your resources. Most couples have sold their souls, they've sold their marriages for the things of this world. We'd rather have a big house that is way more than we ever need. We'd rather drive two fancy cars. We'd rather have all this stuff and then we fuss because we don't have any time to spend with each other because we're having to work three, four, five jobs all this overtime to pay off for all this stuff we don't get to enjoy anyway. And it just we sold our marriage for stuff. Silly. That's the biggest complaint my wife and I hear. In our offices, we never spend any time together. Why? Well, I work, he work. But if I asked a couple, what is the biggest hindrance in your husband's wife that keeps him from investing fully into your relationship? Work. 
I asked the wife, what's the set? Work, the kids. We all got to work. Come on. But I'm just telling you right now, when things become more important to you than your marriage, sooner or later you'll be left with neither thing nor marriage. Ooh, that one in my notes. That's all Holy Ghost right there. Be faithful. Money is a big deal in marriage. Evaluate your heart, gentlemen. Determine what you really need. Get serious about debt so that you can become a giver. Men, you are responsible for the way your family's income is managed. Maybe you're not the secretary in the house, but you're still responsible. Faithful stewards involved is what makes stewardship work. Be faithful. Get involved. Of the top three things in marriage that cause marriage crisis. Kids. Sex. And money. Number one is money. Number two is sex. Number three. Well, one leads to the next problem. You, gentlemen, you got to get that in order. I said, gentlemen, you got to get that in order. Yes. Number five, and I'm moving on. Strengthen your faith, gentlemen. Abraham was God's man of faith, right? And so are you, and he trusted God, and so can you. Abraham's faith is, base, is the basis for Paul's whole argument in Romans chapter 4. I love it every year when we walk through discipleship with the disciples. And I get to literally just lay out a scene when we go through uh, the book of Romans in the discipleship. I get to lay out a scene, a court scene, where there's a prosecutor and there's a defender. It, it, the book of Romans is the grace of God on trial. And Paul is brilliant. And Paul uses the law of God to defend the grace of God. And he bases his whole argument on Abraham's life. Gentlemen, strengthen your faith. You are my fellow husband. Come on. We're in this together. And we've got to follow Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. So my fellow husbands, listen to this. Trust not in your own heart and do not lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Come on up here, worship team. Here's one of those moments for us. 1,189. 1,189. That's how many chapters are in this Bible. And 13 of those chapters are about one marriage. Not to mention the key moments in the New Testament that reference that marriage. Wow. It's an epic tale of love and trial and partnership and adventure. Somebody say amen. Remember those three foundations I closed with last week? Those three things... The foundation is important. For, them, for, for Abraham and Sarah, no doubt it was faith. No doubt it was faith. He was a man of faith. She's a woman of faith. That's a perfect combination. And God can do a lot with that. There's strong personal faith in God, each, and, each of them. Which made them great partners in faith. That's why it's very important, young ladies and young men, not to be unequally yoked. If they're not Christians, what you doing? What you, what you doing? Single people? What you doing? And, and don't tell me there ain't enough Christians out there. Are. There's enough single Christians out there. If you're going to be partners in faith, 
There's 13 chapters of 1,189 directly commenting and walking us through a marriage. Gosh, that's so powerful. And in that, in that, we see a blueprint. What God said they did. And like master builders, Abraham and Sarah followed the instructions of God. That faith in his plans. And they followed the blueprints. They had some hiccups like we all do. But the blueprint was important. And God gave them some tools, married people. Their reliance on God was number one. Can you imagine the conversations that must have had between the two of them about no children when God had promised that there would be children? Can you imagine just the struggle of that, the real conversation? I don't know about you as a husband and wife, but, you know, my wife and I have a great marriage, and and even the difficult conversations, we have decided that because we don't raise our voice and we don't dishonor, devalue, or disrespect each other, those very intense conversations sometimes, they, they tend to always revolve around our wrestling with God and what's next. And our conversation is about what our eyes see and our frustration in that until it leads us to what God has spoken and us, we wound up in faith in it. Don't, don't stay. You gotta, can you imagine their conversations? Patience, people, is a tool for the trusting the living God. It is. It is a tool. God is not as in a big a hurry as you think he is. And as you work to build your marriage, no matter what the circumstance happens, no matter what slams you, no matter the ridicule or the mistakes or the things that happen in your life, the ridiculous decisions we all make from time to time, we look back on and go, what was I thinking? No matter how you have forgiven each other time and time and time and time again, no matter how hard it gets to trust God, married people, wait patiently on Him. Remember Abraham's words. Especially in quoting them over your marriage. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Come on, church. Stand with me. Father, we love you. We embrace all you have for us. Thank you for this word. Help us to receive it in Jesus' name.